This is your host, Jessica Ortner, and our time together is dedicated to feeling good within all of life's complexities. We'll be going on a wandering path, exploring topics like spirituality, productivity, and personal fulfillment, because happiness is not a destination. It's an adventure. Welcome to Adventures in Happiness. What's going on? Are you recording already, so I have to watch my language? Yeah, I, I did press record already. How did uh, you know? Well, because you tried to get me the other time with it, so I know you're just out to try to call me, have me be really mean to you, and then just sell me to the world. So you're saying that you're mean to me, as you're admitting it? Yeah, I admitted that. <laughs> well, I'm your big brother. I have to, I have to berate you once in a while, right? Keep my feet grounded. Keep me. No, are you gonna? Put, if you are gonna say this, please tell people I'd never berate you. No, you don't. Very First, nice big brother. You're a very nice big brother. Are you speaking with your headset? I am. Can you speak without your headset for a sec? I cannot. Ugh, really? Yeah. I have no I have no hands. Why does it not sound good? No, it sounded better when I was trying to trick you. Now it doesn't sound so as as good. Well, this is these are the choices that you have to make. Wait, are we really using this? I don't know. It's up to you. I don't care. <laughs> okay. I don't think it's that entertaining for the poor people that have to listen to this, my my poor quality audio. Well, that's uh, because you don't want to set up your microphone, because you're too yeah. important and too busy. <laughs> too important and too busy. That is correct, people. Right now, I am outside, and I am walking around with a little Junie on me. Oh, little baby. I got, I got a little bit. I got to do a bunch of work tonight, so I took over babysitting for an hour. To give Brenna a break, and she's in the little carrier facing out, which is really cute, because she's just basically, like, walking around looking at the world. I think she thinks she's just walking around herself. <laughs> that was super exciting for her. Oh, that's so cute. Um, okay, she's so you very really... entertained by it. All right. Well, you don't sound the best. I think it's because you're walking outside and you're far away from the receiver. But regardless, we can hear you. So... Well, but, what do you... but, like, how bad does it sound? No, it doesn't sound that bad. It just sounds like well, you're... Well, let me take my headset off for a okay. second. All right, how, how does this sound? Like, way better. Oh, my gosh. Way Fine. Better. I'll do this for a few minutes. Okay, two minutes into the podcast, and all you've heard was us talk about the sound quality. Uh, um, I hope you're happy, people. God, that, are we really going to use this because I sound so mean? But I think it's just because it's amusing. Right? You don't... You're not... You're really not that mean. It's entertaining. <laughs> not that mean. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, not that mean. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know what episode this is, uh, but I interviewed Barbara Stanny. Do you know who she is? Because you should. I don't. So, Bar- Wait, hold on. Can we talk about the fact that you kicked me off the podcast? No, I did uh, not kick you I- off the podcast. You don't want to record with me, and so I'm taking it. I'm doing it so I don't have to always wait for you, and th- this way I can be more consistent with my episodes. And you can do it whenever you want. That's true, people. That is the true story. That's that's what happened. There was no fight. Well, not really. <laughs> yeah, <I know. laughs> no. Well, the fight was, can you record an episode today? No, I don't want to. No, come on, you have to record. I don't want to. Yeah. Fine, I'm doing the podcast myself. Fine. <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was our discussion, you know. That was our big fight. No, you know what it is for me? Well, I mean, I, I, think it's, I think it's great that we do it this way so you can be more consistent and get the episodes out because... As you know, not that you don't have a lot on your plate, but I have a lot on my plate. So adding the, the I think adding the burden of you have to record this every week was just tough. You know? Well, and that's what it's oh. different about us. You like to have more of that flexibility. And I actually yep. like 
this type of, I kind of like the schedule. And that being said, I know we haven't come out with a podcast for a while because I was traveling in Russia and it, it's been a crazy summer of moving um, to California and everything, but I'm back. You're so back. I'm ready. Yes, yeah, so sorry. Who did you interview? Uh, I interviewed Barbara Stanny, who wrote this book called Sacred Success. She's written a ton of books. This is not her first book. It's like her seventh book, but this is okay. the first book that I read. And someone recommended it to me. I read it. It was so good that I read it on my Kindle. It was so good that I bought it and then found out that we have similar friends and um, got in touch with her. And she's really sweet. She's just so her book is so good. Like, so what's so interesting about her and I you hear about this in the podcast, which I already did record it. She her father is the R in H&R Block. She grew up with a lot of money. And you'll soon hear how she lost it all and how she had to not, you know, she she learned as a kid, just don't worry about money you'd be taken care of. And so all of a sudden, when all this money disappears and she's a million dollars in debt, she suddenly has to take responsibility for her finances and also take a closer look at her relationship with money and with power. And so this mm-hmm. book is for women. It's about women's relationship with power and relationship with money. But the podcast, whether you're female or male, you're going to get something out of it because she just has, she's so good. And what's so good about this book too, is she brings a lot of spirituality. And she said this was a really hard book to write because it's scary when you start to talk about spiritual beliefs, because I think it's something that people tend to have more of a stronger opinion with, you know, they either really like it or they really don't. And I love when people talk about spirituality and money because it's a conversation we need to have more. I love it. I can't wait to hear it. So any other news Any before we jump into the podcast? Um, well, I don't know when this is going to be released. I don't know if we want to talk about this, but like the, you know, the, the sad news right now is the, the passing of our dear friend Wayne Dyer. I know. Um, I you know. know. It's Monday now we record this. I found out yesterday, Sunday. Happened Sunday morning in his house in Maui. I mean, he wasn't ill. A lot of people were asking me, like, was he sick? And it's like, I know people who were just with him two weeks ago in Australia and who were traveling with him, and he was feeling well and in good energy and good spirits, and he had a whole tour ahead of him. Uh, he actually had to be out of his house in Maui because they were doing some construction, so he planned all these speaking gigs for the next six months. So, I mean, he he was just out there doing it, and uh, it was just a shock to all of us. Well, one of the things I I do love is that he did talk a lot about death before. He did, and, yeah, yeah. And how he was excited for the next adventure and just his beliefs. I think he, there's this, he said that he there's a suit in his closet and he cut out the pockets to remind himself that he can't take anything with him when he goes. Yep. And, uh, yeah, and it's it's tough, though, because you're sad. Like, you're sad. I mean, we're, we're both really sad about it. And then you when you hear him talk about death, he talks about it like a celebration that sure. you know we are we are infinite and so it's just it's so I think it's important to go back to his words to be comforted at this time. Well, absolutely, absolutely, and you know I mean his legacy. I know it sounds kind of corny, but his legacy really lives on. Um, I mean, this morning what I did is I loaded my iPod back up with all the Wayne Dyer stuff I have, like his greatest yeah. hits. Like to me, it was like what better way to honor him than to listen to him again and to dive deeper into his work and and you know i posted on facebook and emailed for people to pick up his books or pick up what you haven't read and just um i don't know i feel like that's i know 
that Wayne would love nothing better than for people to pick up his books and audiobooks, not because he ever cared about how much money he made from the books, but because he was so passionate about the message. Yeah. I mean, if you really if you follow the story, it's like he's been so inspiring to me as, as an author. I mean, he sold books literally from the back of his car, from the trunk of his car, driving around. I mean, this guy did it, and he pushed and he pushed and he pushed, and he traveled around and he spoke and he spoke and he wrote and he just he worked his butt off full of love for many many years and it's incredible the outpouring of love on Facebook and the number of stories people say he saved my life literally I was you know thinking of committing suicide and I picked up his book and it changed everything and just thousands tens of thousands of stories and really probably millions of people that he touched in just such profound profound ways so it's a shock. It, you know, everyone that I've talked to with the Hay House family is like, we all say the same thing. It didn't seem like it was his time. I don't know if, I don't know if it ever seems like it's anybody's time, but it's not, you know, maybe you think, well, I think we all saw him speaking for another 10 years and then retiring or doing, you know, here's my last speech in New York. I'm taking time off and things like that. It just seemed like he had a lot more. But, you know, it's crazy, Jess. I know you know this is the last book that he published called I Can See Clearly Now was his memoir. And uh, and he didn't write it. I, I mean, he handed me a galley copy of the book. He didn't write it thinking, this is the last book I'm writing. In fact, he was working on another book right now, which I don't know what the status is. Hopefully it's finished enough that it can see the light of day. Um, and it's actually on a very interesting topic, so look out for that. But uh, and he wrote his memoir, which is a beautiful book. It's called I Can See Clearly Now. I highly encourage you to pick it up and and read it and uh and well, yeah what, what else? i do love is he was just so full of life until the very end and i he was. i mean what yeah. a, what a beautiful way to go to in your sleep and just still so full of life and it was also the super moon do you remember that? i, I heard that i heard a couple of people mention that like super moon and pisces i don't really know what all that means but super moon sounds good well i don't know what the pisces mean but super moon it just means that the moon was closer to the earth and it, it was just a beautiful moon i remember that mm. night yeah yeah his legacy lives on and for those who have read his work now's a great time to go back to it it's always a good time to go back to it and for those who haven't pick up pick up his books and pick up his lectures he was so good on stage yeah he's so good on stage i mean i've read all his books but it was really his audios that that moved me the most because i just yeah. put him on my ipod and walked around and handed them to people and I did dishes and I commuted and I exercised listening to Wayne. So yeah. my favorite Wayne quote, cause he's, he's incredibly thought provoking too, is love is the ability and willingness to allow those that you care for to be what they choose for themselves without any insistence that they satisfy you. Oh, that's beautiful. Say that again. So everyone can just sort of sit with that for a second love is the ability and willingness to allow those that you care for to be what they choose for themselves without any insistence that they satisfy you beautiful and as a father of eight children i uh i know that he he had those experiences where he just had to let them be who they wanted to be in the world yeah and our love is with their family and Oh, those, I mean, his kids, they're so much. I've hung out with Serena and, and Sage a few times, and they're just hysterical and full of life. And the thing about Wayne is he was so funny. He was so sarcastic. And that's the I thing know. about spirituality. Spirituality doesn't have to be this heavy topic. It could be light. It could be funny. And uh, and he was full of life. So we're sending love to, 
to the whole yeah. family. I like his opening joke, which I'm probably going to butcher right now. Uh, I don't know how he, the last couple of years on stage, he comes out and he says, you know, something effective. Things are good. I'm having sex every day. No, he says, I'm having sex almost every day. See, I knew I was going to butcher it. Almost on Monday, almost on Tuesday, <laughs> almost on Wednesday. <laughs> uh, That's awesome. Great. That's, That's a good awesome. right? And I'm sorry I butchered it a little bit, but I think you get it. Yeah, totally. Um, well, Nick, thanks for doing this intro as you walk June around in the backyard. And uh, everyone that's listening, I hope that you enjoy this interview with Barbara Stanny. Let us know what you think. We love to hear from you. Share your aha moments. And also on Facebook, let us know how Wayne touched your life. You know, what? how did he impact you? What What do you feel is the legacy that he's leaving in this world? We'd love to hear from you. Any final Thanks, thoughts? everyone. Thanks for allowing me to uh, come to you with a not-perfect audio connection and maybe some wind in the background and a baby. But she, she stayed quiet. I was hoping she'd say a little something, but <laughs> she's very content looking around, Aww. looking around at the world. So. Sweet baby June. All right, thanks, Nick. Enjoy, everyone. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks, guys. Barbara, welcome. Thank you. I'm <laughs> glad to be here. This is fun. I know. So we have been emailing each other, and I told you that I read your book, Sacred Success, and I basically was just underlying every other word. It was so good. And I loved it so much. I read it on my Kindle, and I loved it so much that I ordered it because I wanted to have it in my library. I wanted to have a a copy that I could even uh, lend out to friends. And when I ordered it and I got it in the mail, I looked at the back and saw that a lot of my friends also think that you're amazing and wrote you great testimonials. So I'm, I felt very excited and grateful that, that we were able to connect in that way. And I just want to start off by saying congratulations on such an incredible book. Thank you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it because it, it was a tough book for me to write. Very tough. Why was it tough? Because I know was, you've written a lot of books. I've, this was my seventh book. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was tough because this is the first one I really come out of my spiritual closet. Yes. And I really talked about, because to me, money is a very practical process, but I believe financial success is not just practical, it's also very much a spiritual practice. And it always has been for me. I mean, I grew up knowing nothing about money. Money gave me a lot of problems. Um I had a compulsive gambler for a husband who lost a lot of money. And getting to understand money was very much, it was both practical and spiritual. And I wanted to, I wanted to write about that. Yeah. I thought it was so fascinating that, that you shared in the book that you grew up also relying on your father, who you call the R in H&R Block. And so here you are someone who was raised uh, with abundance, but it seemed something very outside of yourself. I was raised with abundance, but no knowledge of how to create or keep that abundance. Yes. And that's interesting because so often we hear about these lottery winners. And I think there's some crazy statistic about how many people who win the lottery end up losing it within 10 years. Within three years. Oh, within three years. Three okay, years. you know about it. Three years. That's it's crazy. And that just shows that even if we're given this money, if we don't have the the mindset mentally, and now we're learning spiritually, we can't hold on to it. it it's both. It's, there's three prongs to creating wealth. There's the 
outer work of wealth, the inner work of wealth, and the higher work of wealth. And all three of those need attention. And the media, the financial industry focuses primarily on the outer work. And this is important, you know, understanding the investing and the difference between a stock and a bond and how to negotiate. That's all important. But that's not enough for those of us who get stuck. Yes. Who, it's also the inner work, looking at your attitude, beliefs, and decisions you made about yourself and money, and also the higher work. I believe that all of us are on this planet for a purpose, that, that we are here to do God's work or whatever you call that uh, higher power. And I believe that's a great motivation, especially for women, to get smarter or smarter about our money. Because as, as <laughs> the Reverend Michael Beckwith says, how can you be the light of the world if you can't pay your light bill? <laughs> right. Right. You know, your book was recommended to me by Mike Watts, who I think you know, right? You know, Kate North. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. So I was having a conversation with him and I was just in a place where I'd written one book. It, it, it was successful, but then I felt kind of lost. I didn't know what I wanted to do next. And I was telling him that making money wasn't enough of a motivating factor for me, that I that I was searching for the next idea, wanting something more. And he's the one who recommended your book. And it came at such a, a great time. And what I found so fascinating was the connection that you make between our personal power and finances. Because there's many people out there who think, I have low self-worth or I'm having a horrible time right now because I don't have enough money. And if I only had more money, then I'd have greater self-worth. I'd feel better about myself here in the book, you talk about how we tend to, we have that whole concept backwards. So what's the connection between our purpose, our power, and our finances? Great question. So I've been working in this field of women and money and wealth for over 20 years. And one thing I saw very early in this work is that women's difficulties with money, making it or managing it, has very little to do with money per se. It has everything to do with our fear of or ambivalence about power or what we perceive power to mean. And I remember when I wrote my very first book, Prince Charming Isn't Coming, How Women Get Smart About Money. And that's where I, from interviewing women who are smart with money, that's when I first saw the connection between wealth and power. And I remember saying to a psychologist who I was interviewing for that book, I, I'm really seeing that women are afraid of their power. I said, why do you think that is? And she said back to me, because powerful women have been burned at the stake. And I think it, in our collective unconscious, you know, historically, we have been punished for being powerful. And I think we are hitting a brand new paradigm when women are being asked, they're being, they need to step up to their plate and into their power to lead alongside men, not just globally, but in our homes, in PTAs, in, in our organizations. And so really what I'm passionate about is helping women become, really own and step into their power. Right. It's it's so funny because before my book came out, I kept having this dream that I was being burnt at the stake. And I called my friend Regina, so people know her as Mama Gina, 
And I told her, and she goes, oh, yeah, before my book came out, I kept having a dream that I was being run over by a car. <laughs> and and I was like, wow, what is this that we have in our psyche that says, yeah. if I stand out, something bad could happen? Where do you think that this stems from? Do you think this is something that we suffer because it's a cultural belief that's being passed down? I, I Like I said, I, I really believe it's part of our collective unconsciousness. I mean, I remember... Uh, years ago, when I started playing around with this whole idea of spirituality and coming out of the closet, and I remember in the Wall Street Journal, there were two big articles that Massachusetts apologized to the witches. Because what they, the, what they saw at that time as witches were women who were very independent, who were dressing like they wanted, who spoke like they wanted, and these were the women that were punished. My definition of a powerful woman is someone who knows who she is, who knows what she wants, and expresses that in the world unapologetically. Mm -hmm. And I think what happens is we are so afraid of being seen, expressing ourselves, speaking our truth, that we'll water ourselves down so as not to make waves. One of the things that I underlined in your book is you wrote, somewhere along the way, financial incompetence became a safe house of sorts, granting us protection and oddly enough security. Think about it. There is no better way to limit our power than by lowering our earning potential or by mishandling neglect or ignoring our money. I uh, I circled that and starred that. That's so powerful. So, with well, Jessica, I remember when I wrote that sentence. Oh, my God, that's so weird. I remember <laughs> writing it. <laughs> and the other thing that you say in your book is one of the first things that we need to do is just acknowledge where we are. So here we are and we're acknowledging, hey, you know what? I might have been holding myself back. I may have been ignoring my finances because of this fear of my own power. Once we gain that awareness that we may be sabotaging our own success, what do we then do with that information? Okay, uh, what, what I believe, what I help clients do, what I did for me, is I had to explore a little deeper. Why am I doing that? Because until I explored deeper, no matter how much I saw that I knew I was sabotaging myself, but I couldn't go forward. So what, what, what happened, let me just give you a brief background of me Please. so people listening can understand. So I was born wealthy, and the only advice my father ever gave me about money was don't worry. So I thought that was great advice, and I never worried. And it turns out my husband was a compulsive gambler who lost a fortune of my inheritance. And by the time we divorced 15 years later, and I continued to let him manage the money because that's how terrified I was by anything financial. By the time we got divorced, I not only had any money in the bank, but I got a million dollars in tax bills for my, that my ex, for illegal deals my ex got us in. I did not have a million dollars, not even close to it. My ex had left the country. My, my father wouldn't lend me the money. I did not know what I was going to do. And what, so what started, so I started this journey and I started interviewing women who were smart with money. And that just really was so eye opening to me. And I knew there was something stopping me, but I couldn't get to it. So I went to a therapist and I said to this therapist, I said, 
oh, David, I really want to understand money. I really do. I want to make it. I want to manage it. I want to be smart about it. And he said, stop. And he moved over to another chair. And he says, now I want you to talk to me like I'm a voice in your head. And I'm going to be you and answer back. So I said, oh, David, I really want to make money. I really, really want to make money. I really want to understand this. And as a voice in my head, he says, no, you don't. And it's like, I couldn't argue. I realized there was a big part of me that was terrified of becoming smart with money. And so what I did with, with my therapist's help is I started exploring. You don't need therapy, but to start exploring what was going on. And I saw that, you know, I was scared my parents would be mad at me. But the biggest thing is I was terrified that if I was really smart and financially independent, a man wouldn't love me. Mm. And well, that changed. <laughs> <laughs> so once, once I got that, once I got the clarity that was going on, then I could feel myself holding myself back and I could push myself forward. Slowly, small steps, but saying, but, you know, really seeing that the lie in that, the lie of that, the belief I had. Do you have questions that you recommend that clients, people you work with, ask themselves to help gain clarity on what that might be? You know, whenever any people come to me because they're stuck. Mm-hmm. And whenever they're stuck, they'll always say, well, what, what do I need to do? What do I need to do? And the one thing I know for me is before you ask yourself, what do I need to do? The first question to ask is, what do I need to let go of? Mm-hmm. What is thought serving me? Where am I giving my power away? And you know where you're giving up your power away, wherever you're not happy. So you begin by looking at the places you're unhappy. Look at how you are giving your power away, how you are creating that, and what you need to let go of. And once you can understand that and you understand the letting go, then you clear the way for better to come in. Now, if someone asks themselves that question, where am I giving up my power? And the answer comes back. It's something like in my relationship. But then they think, well, my relationship has nothing to do with my money. It's too, It's a different area of my life. Are they all connected? Whatever's going on with one area of your life is going on with many other areas. You cannot slice up your life like a pizza mm-hmm. and say, okay, I'm just going to work on the financial and forget the other parts. It doesn't work like that. Because whatever is going on with my area, with money, was going on with other areas as well. Yes. Yes. That makes a lot of sense. And as we begin to move forward, we want to begin to make some changes. It's so important for us to begin to have the the peace inside to have the clarity to make decisions that are right for us. Because like you mentioned, we can learn about when it comes to finances, there's a million different strategies. And so what I found interesting about your book is not just uh, is going inside, but going inside and then finding that there is a voice inside of you that is even greater than your current circumstance. It's even greater than that little fear voice. Uh, And I, I think you call it the soul. So let me suggest and this was a very, very important uh, awareness for me. Mm-hmm. And it is for people who come to my retreat, my sacred success retreats. Power really has two voices. There's the voice of the ego and the voice of the soul. And the voice of the ego is the voice of fear. And the voice of the soul is the voice of love. 
And where you go next depends on which voice you tune into, which voice you listen to. The ego, the ego is not bad at all. The e, as I understand it, the ego's job is to keep you safe. And it learned how to keep you safe when you were a kid. And when we're a kid, we're all about survival. And survival to a child is getting attention, approval, and uh, attention, approval, and love. Mm. And so we learn very early what gets us attention, approval, and love, and what gets us disapproval and no attention and abandonment. And so that's what our soul does. Our soul wants to protect us. I mean, our, our ego, sorry, our ego wants to protect us. Our soul which gets its marching orders from God or your higher power, whatever you want to call it your, it, your soul knows you're safe. It wants you to shine. It wants you to soar. And so your ego will push you beyond your fear because your, I mean, your soul, soul. Yes, your soul will push you beyond your fear because your soul knows. The truth is that just beyond your fear lies your power and your pleasure. So the power comes from which voice you listen to. Is it the voice of fear or the voice of love? I love this understanding of the ego because I think many of us have been taught to believe that the ego is evil and we begin to blame the ego and then we get mad at our ego and we say that it's sabotaging us. But here what you're saying is there is a benefit. Its intention is to keep us safe because as a child, we needed that acceptance and that approval. So as adults, because I know this is a struggle for many people, is you want to do something, but then you wonder, will other people like it? We still are seeking that approval. How does this need for approval impact our finances and our happiness? Because financial success, success in anything, really demands that we make some tough decisions. Some decisions that could have a negative impact on other people. That we make decisions where we, that we set boundaries, clear boundaries, where we can say a very strong no. Where we can disappoint people. It's part of the process. And what I learned from successful women was absolutely pivotal for me. And what these women, successful, financially successful women, told me that There is in every woman I have ever interviewed, in every successful woman I have ever talked to, there is a piece of them that says, they all say something like, there's a little girl inside me that just wants to be liked. But they know in order to succeed, they have to make these tough decisions. So they knew they had to toughen up. And the way they toughened up is not by hardening their heart or becoming all macho. It was by shifting their thinking. And they realized, I'd rather be respected than liked. And that one shift, I'd rather be respected than liked, in the world of work makes all the difference. That makes all the difference. Now, we still want to be loved by our friends and family. And all the successful women I've ever interviewed had what I called, not them, I called it the love nest, the little love nest of people who they can be this little girl, they can be insecure, they can be a little needy with. You know, I have my, my daughters, I have my husband, I have my, my, my besties. But in the world of work, I'd rather be respected than liked. Yes. There is a quote that you, it was, you quoted someone else, and I don't know if you're going to know it off the top of your head, but it's something like, take that sticker that says, I want your approval off your forehead and put it on the mirror where it belongs. Oh, yeah. 
who who wrote the book do what you fear and uh oh feel the fear and do it anyway anyway yes yes oh i love that quote yes i love that quote too in fact i found it while i was writing the book and i thought i gotta put it i gotta find some place for that another thing that's so I want to, we're going to return to this ego and the soul voice, but I want to take just a step back when it comes to deciding that we want to make a shift in our lives and, and we want to experience the, this call that you say that, you know, this feeling of, of purpose, we want to experience our destiny. And, and you wrote that, you know, the signs of the call include feeling discontented, restless, anxious, unfulfilled, frustrated, bored, and burned out. And I know that there are people listening to this who are raising their hand going, yes, I feel one of those. And so here we are feeling anxious or unfulfilled, and we think that it's wrong. We think we must be doing something wrong, but you're saying it's actually part of the process. Can, can you expand on that? So I remember I was trying to write this book. Sacred Success, although I didn't know it was Sacred Success at the time, and I thought it was a completely different book. And I remember working on it for three years, and I was just feeling so burnt out, really burnt out. And I remember my coach at the time said, Barbara, you're so busy doing, you need time for just being. And I knew she was right, so I went on a four-day retreat. And it was during the four-day retreat that I realized that my burnout was really a call to greatness. My soul was calling me. My soul said, pay attention. Stop what you're doing. It's time to play a bigger game. And I had spent three years pushing, pushing. And when I finally stopped, I got to see I had this whole new body of work in me that I had no idea. And I believe that women... I believe many women, many people listening to this call right now are receiving the call to greatness. Their soul is telling them to stop, pay attention. It's time to play a bigger game. And you know the signs, what they all have in common is they're uncomfortable because the purpose is to get our intention. And as A Course in Miracles says, discomfort is aroused simply to alert yourself these are my words, simply to alert yourself that there is a need for correction. Your soul is calling you. It's time to course correct. It's time to do it differently. And so sacred success, I realized, is how women are achieving success in a very different way than this planet, i.e. men, models. And that's when I was on this four-day retreat. I came home. The call got louder because I was so jazzed after this retreat that I kept doing what I was doing, only more of it. And the call got louder. And, and I remember my assistant quit, my computer crashed. My, my, the, 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 the worst was my uh, business partner and I broke up. And I thought, oh, I'm just lost. I felt lost. And I remember saying to my husband, oh, my God, I wish I could take a month off. And he said, well, why don't you? And I said, oh, no, 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 no. I'm way too busy. I have way too many important things to do. And the moment I said that. The moment I said that, I knew that was the next stage of sacred success. And that is receptive surrender. Taking time to uh, for quiet, taking time to reflect, taking time to tune into your soul, which is always quiet. The ego is always the loudest and always speaks first, but your quiet but your soul is very quiet, very gentle, and very persistent. I love that word, receptive surrender. 
can you expand on that and and talk a little bit about you know people always say you have to when it comes to success you have to be patient. How do you view patience? Let me let me back up. That that's a, I love how you said how I view patience because patient isn't passive. Mm. It's not just sitting there waiting for something to happen. What I thought Sacred Success was going to be was going to be a book on women making millions because I had written a book on the secrets of six-figure women. That's how I learned to make six figures. Now I wanted to make millions. So I started interviewing women who made millions. And three years later, I had no, was nowhere near there. And so when I went on this four-day retreat, I took my transcripts of these interviews with women who made millions. And I saw something that I totally, completely overlooked. And, and, I, and even when I had a, saw it, I didn't know what to do with it. All these women, right before they soared into making millions, right before they soared into these stratospheric levels of success, they all sank into a limbo of sorts, a timeout. And almost all of them, it was precip- precipitated by a crisis, like something awful happened in their life. Like they get breast cancer and bankruptcy and, and, and uh, um, a major breakup, just all kinds of really tough things where they had no choice but to stop. So I decided I was not going to wait till the crisis got worse than my business partner and I breaking up. I decided to take a month off, but it turned out it was turned into nine months. And what these women did, now we all have crisis. Not everyone goes off to make a million dollars. What these women did, this is what the patience looks like. They said, I used this time. They didn't try to push through, plow through, at least not for very long. They actually took time out. They took time out where they just sit and stare out the window. But they said, I use this time to regroup and come back stronger. And that's what I did. I took time. And I gradually, at first, I just started taking things off my plate. I stopped taking on new clients. I stopped uh, blogging. I stopped uh, Facebooking. I stopped my social media. I just kind of stopped everything. I didn't travel. I just stopped. And... I just wanted to see what would come up. And it was during this period that this whole new body of work, Sacred Success, came into me that not only became a book, but more important to me, it changed the way I lived my life. Yeah. When we begin to take time out to be quiet, that's when we begin to hear the voices. And hopefully it's the soul. And oftentimes the ego sneaks in. Wait. Always. Always. Okay, it's not just me. (laughs) I'm sitting here. I'm sitting right where I'm sitting now talking to you. And I'm sitting at my desk and I'm looking out the window and I'm not doing anything. And I have no clients and no speaking engagements. And I feel like a loser. I feel like there's an L tattooed on my forehead. And everyone (laughs) sees what a loser I am. And my my ego says to me, come on, do something. Get out there. You're just going to disappear. And that was always my biggest fear. My biggest fear ever since I was a little girl is that I'm not important. I don't matter. And I'll just disappear. And no one will know I'm gone. And part of the part of what to do in this receptive surrender period is to really reflect and regroup. You know, where is it I want to go? But also to meet our fears, to, to meet our demons. Because once you face that which you fear, it need never control you again. And I know so much of what was pushing me to succeed was my need to feel important. But that's a, that, that's a no-win battle because I'll never feel important. 
And what I saw from taking nine months out of really falling off the social media planet is I was still important. I was important to my husband. I was important to my children. I was important to my friends. And suddenly, this whole need to prove myself, my whole fear of not being important, it just left. Now, my ego keeps wanting to bring it up again, but it'll, it'll never have control over me like it did. And this is the crazy thing is that when it left and when you when you saw your worth and, you, and your value in other places, now this whole new body of work comes up. And which was why, as I said at the beginning, it was so hard for me writing my book because I remember just sitting here and writing this, this stuff and my ego was saying, this is crap. No one is going to want to read this. This is crap. And I knew, even though it viscerally felt awful to me, I felt like no one's going to, I really felt it. I still had to do it because this was God's purpose for me. I had to because this was my desire. Hmm. You mentioned before that you know a, a little bit. You've heard a bit about tapping. You've seen one of my interviews. Mm. And one of one of the things that I love about tapping is it's all about honoring how you feel and accepting it. And when you get to the place where you say, yes, this is how I feel. And even with this voice and even with this frustration, I accept myself. There is just immense, an immense amount of freedom that comes with that. See, I think, Jessica, and I'm certainly not an expert at this, but I think there is no, there is no better tool for dealing with the ego than tapping. I think it's just, it's like it, it just short circuits the ego. Yeah, I, I agree. It's it's incredible. And and what's so great with your book is you give people such a clear understanding of what the ego is, because we have to begin to realize that that voice isn't ours. So, you know, I would have the, and I still have the critical voice, the ego voice. And before I thought it was me. I thought it was the truth. Yeah. And now it comes up, it still comes up. And I'm just like, oh yeah, hey, like you're the ego voice. Like, yeah, I, I see you, I hear you, but I don't have to pay attention to you uh, because I'm able to tell the difference between the ego and what you call the soul voice. How can, for those who are listening, what are some keys to really knowing the difference between these two voices? Because also sometimes, you know, there is a voice from the soul saying, hey, you need to course correct. And it gives you maybe not so much fear, but this this sense that, okay, now you need to take some maybe aggressive action a different direction. And sometimes it tells you just to wait. So how do you know whether you're acting from a place of love or acting from a place of fear? Well, the more that you tune in, the more you will know. But I know when it's my ego, when I'm feeling this visceral feeling in my solar plexus for me, mm. my solar plexus of fear, of terror. And I know when it's my soul, when I'm feeling this knowing that it's right. I may still be scared of the unknown, but there is this deeper knowing that I'm right. Like when I was writing this book, Sacred Success, and my ego was having a heyday telling me what crap it was. I just knew I could tune into my soul and my soul was saying, keep going. Keep going. You'll never shut the ego up. It never will. Sometimes it gets quieter. But the key is to say thank you for sharing and just follow that soul's knowingness that it's right. I can't believe that you even had a moment of thinking that this was crap because this book is so good. <laughs> so thank good. You. Thank you. 
Can Thank you. you. That, that, and that's what our ego does. Yeah. It has no discernment into what is truly good and what is not. It's mm-hmm. just that I learned as a child that you don't speak up. You don't tell your truth. And you don't talk about money. That was a big thing in my family. So everything, can you imagine being a writer about money and a speaker about money? Every time I go to speak, it's like my ego has a heyday and wants me to shut up. Right. And it's like, because what protected you, what helped you survive as a child will suffocate you as an adult. Mm. Now, money for many people is very taboo when it, you know, whether you grew up with money or without money, there's many families that you just never talk about it. And there's also this idea that that money isn't spiritual. You know, it's this kind of dirty thing. And so here you are writing a book called Sacred Success, which is really bringing in these spiritual principles with money. So can you tell us kind of the old belief that people have, you know, why do you think people have this struggle with spirituality and money and how do you feel it needs to evolve? Well, I coined this word called metaphysical. (laughs) I love that. Metaphysical means the blending of the spiritual with the practical in regards to money. And I really believe that when you invite the divine into your relationship with the uh, almighty dollar, financial success becomes a, a healing journey, a transformational process. And I believe for women, it is a rite of passage into our power. And there is no better way, as you wrote this passage earlier, to take away our power than to take away access to money which is what I think the world has been very scared of women's power. And so they have deprived us access to money. I mean, it's only been the last hundred years we were even allowed to work and keep our money that we could have a bank account in our own name. Yeah, you, I think you said in the book it was at 1975 until women could get a bank account without a, co- a male cosigner. A male cosigner or an, some cosigner, yes, yes, yes. I mean... It's, this is, this is, it's fear because it's the fear. See, men and women, of course, I'm getting away from your question. So your question was, what was your question? This idea that money is not spiritual, that it's kind of evil and bad to want to have money. And, And where are we evolving to? How do we create a spiritual relationship with money? So I had a line in my sacred success book that I kept putting in and taking out putting in and taking out because I was so scared how people would react. And one of the first reviews of my book was from Publishing, which you know is like the Bible, the publishing world. And it was a great review. And they used this line as the first line of the review. And the line was, I believe money is God made visible. I believe that money allows us to pursue our purpose to really do the work we are meant to do in the grandest way possible. And I believe that the lack of money, (laughs) money, the love of money is not the root of all evil. I think it's the lack of love, of self-love and love from our families that creates evil. Mm -hmm. So I know one of the ways that the church and the patriarchy have tried to control us is by limiting our access or ruining our relationship with money. 
Because money cannot. Money, you put a $100 bill on the floor and it cannot shoot a gun or bandage a wound. (laughs) Money can't do anything. It's we who do it. Mm-hmm. And we can we can change. Look at all the philanthropists out there, like the Bill Gates and the Warren Buffett, who are doing amazing things in this world. Yes, with, with the money, and more than that, in order to become financially successful, in order to become wealthy, it's not just having the money; it's who we have to become to reach that level of success. It's who we have to become, and how we can use money to make a difference. One of the things I thought was so interesting is that you shared that for many women, and I related to this, making more money is not motivation enough. But if you tie the making more money with serving more people, that's what tends to really create that motivation that leads to success. Well, let me just, yes, let me just refine that a little. Please. It's not exactly making more money. Here's the big difference between men and women, and research has shown this, proven this over and over again. You tell a man to go out and make more money. I don't care how much he has. He's all over it. To a man, men are very motivated. By and large, men are very motivated by perks, by profit, by prestige. It's just, it's a big incentive. A woman, once she reaches financial stability, once she has food on the table, a roof over her heads, and perhaps some disposable income to have her many petties and, mm-hmm. you know, buy, buy <laughs> her shoes, once she has financial stability, she's no longer motivated by money. Right. She, we just aren't. Just like you said when you were writing the book, it's not about money. It's, I'm not motivated by money. What motivates us is the opportunity to help another, to give back to our community, to make a difference. And so for me, my definition of sacred success is Pursuing our soul's purpose, you know, what we're here to do. Pursuing our soul's purpose for our own bliss, because it brings us joy, and the benefit of others, because we love helping, and being richly rewarded. Mm-hmm. Because, I, yeah, one of the things that my brother has often said, which I love, is he goes, you know, if, if you see all of these pharmaceutical companies making so much money and People, some people are dying from it. I mean, some people are helped, and there's also a lot of bad. Why can't someone who's teaching personal empowerment make just as much money? Yeah, why can't the healers and caretakers of this world right. make as much money? Because I think for many healers and caretakers, there is this kind of martyr mentality of, well, if I'm helping somebody, then I shouldn't charge them for it, that I should just do it out of the kindness of my heart. What do you say to someone who's struggling with that thought process? Well, I see many things, but one, first of all, make a lot of money and then give it away. <laughs> give it away. Give it to causes you feel passionate about. But it's, it's you know, it's, um, you talked earlier about self-worth and self-value. And there really is a connection between our self-worth and our value. And it was so interesting when I interviewed women who made six figures, I asked all of them, are you doing what you're doing for the money? And 95% of them said, no, no, I'm not doing what I'm doing for the money. I'm doing it for the recognition. I'm doing it for the passion. I'm doing it for the challenge. But this was important to me. But at the same time, they all said, but I damn well want to be well compensated because I know I'm worth it. Mm. And it is that understanding of the value we bring to the table that is what's really critical. It is bringing, is understanding 
our value in the world, what we bring to the world, who we are as individuals, that really ups the game for us. Yes. Ooh, I got goosebumps. Oh, good. Uh, I, I love it. Oh, Barbara, I have some just kind of rapid fire, actually not even that rapid, but some questions that I like to ask everybody at the end of the episode. Some are serious, some are just silly, but they're, they tend to be interesting and enlightening. So my first question um, as we switch gears here is, what is something, Barbara, that nobody would know about you unless they went to middle school with you? Uh, what nobody would know about me unless they went to middle school. That I'm really that I'm really shy and I'm very introverted, and people scare me. Really? Now this is interesting. What? So then, what advice do you have for other people who are introverted but feel like they have a message they want to share with the world? Spend lots of time alone. <laughs> get 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 because we introverts is by spending time alone that we get juiced up. Mm-hmm. That we get the energy and the courage to go out there and spread the word. So it's a combination of having a really clear passion, a really clear purpose, and really spending time alone. I love that. When you have a craving for fun, you just want to do something fun, you want to let loose, what do you do? Wow, I don't know. My life is so fun. (laughs) But on the other hand, when you ask that, I'm thinking, do I let go? (laughs) (laughs) Maybe I don't. Maybe I need to do that because I married a man who really knows how to fun, have fun. He, he's teaching me how to play. And I think that's something I need to do more of, to really let go. I love, so listen, the answer could be like, I call my husband, I go hang out with my husband, spend time with him. Yeah, well, that I do. But that's, <laughs> that's very fun. I, I, I go, yeah, I go, I go, I take a walk in the woods. I, I don't really, I kind of let loose more. No, this is good. <laughs> Awesome. Well, okay, next question. It's a really hard one. So I just want you to say the first answer that comes to your mind. What's one book that's changed your life? The Course of Miracles. A Course of Miracles. I've been reading it for 32 years. Sacred Success and all my work is based on the principles of A Course in Miracles. And I continue to read it every day. And that book has virtually, literally changed my life. And the last question, if you could be any kind of animal, what would you be and why? Hmm, I would be a bird. I would be a bird. I would love to be able to sing. I can't carry a tune. (laughs) I'd love to be able to sing and I'd love to be able to fly. I love that. I love that you said sing first because people tend to go right to the flying. Yeah. No, I'd love to sing. I like the singing. (laughs) And and I like like that quote. You've heard it. Uh, A bird doesn't sing because he has a song. A bird sings because he loves to sing. And I thought, and I've often thought about that with my books. I, I don't have to, I love writing. I don't have to write because I have a book idea. I just write. Yes. Well, and thank you for writing because it, it really, I think books are are spiritual. I think they they tend to have this life of their own. They come into your life at a perfect moment. And your book really came into my life at the perfect moment. If there was one thing that you wanted to tell those who are listening about your work, about your book, or something that you hope that tomorrow when people are brushing their teeth that they think about in regards to this interview, what would that be? I I have this philosophy of, of life. 
And my children, whenever they ask advice, I always tell them this. <laughs> and they always know what I'm going to tell them. And, and if there's one, if, if you ever feel stuck, or if you ever don't know what to do next, it's this is how I live my life. Do what you fear, because that's how you grow. So whenever you want to, when something's not working, you look at what the, what the thing you're most scared to do, and that's what you do. I love that. Barbara, thank you so much for spending time with us today. I really appreciate it. Oh, Jessica, you're, you're just adorable. It was so fun to hang out with you. I've never met you in person, so this was really fun. <laughs>